Submitting to your internet inspection. For your pleasure, it's V'ger, please. A hateful voyage for the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your quality control expert, Peter. You know, Voyager was just, I think, getting a little too competent, a little too comfortable, giving us decent episodes. And I'm really glad we could get back to uh, the Voyager we know and love and hate uh, with this one, my friend. What did we watch this week? It seems like you weren't happy. I know we had to go a whole episode without having some sort of space Nazis, but don't worry. (laughs) We're back in the saddle with season five, episode 10, Counterpoint. Good Lord. The Delta Quadrant has a real space fascism problem. Just going to put it out there. Doesn't it, though? It's that's the Wild West of the of the Delta Quadrant. You are either complete total space trash like Kazon living in your mom's Winnebago parked down by the river, or you're some sort of standing collar space Nazi. There is a real surplus of them. This episode opens in the middle of the action. Uh, We get a lot of the background of what the, the conflict is through dialogue as the episode goes on. I know the intention was to like give Janeway like this opportunity to show how clever she is, but nothing about this worked. Like we're watching this and I think we were 15 minutes into it and I was watching it with Stevie and she just called the whole thing from that point forward. He's going to betray you. He's totally, he's totally a double cross. Don't believe him. It's like some, it was some fucking days of our lives shit. That's what it felt like. That was the depth of the plotting of this episode. So you didn't care for it? No, I didn't. I enjoyed certain parts for the the meme ability of it uh, and the dumb mistakes they made with their own continuity. The way that the the villain slash guest star had like the greatest Jay Leno chin that uh, we have yet seen on Trek. But yeah, I did not enjoy this. How about you? Uh, let me honor, offer a counterpoint. I actually like this episode. What? I dug it, man. Uh, Mm. I thought it was a nice entry into a it is one of the few with the exception of the doctor and uh, Dr. Pell way back when the the Vidian that he falls in love with. I'd say this is probably one of the stronger love stories we've seen out of Voyager. Like, man, if if that's true, that's sad. (laughs) I don't know else to put it like. That that love story between uh, the EMH and Dr. Pell was so heartfelt, I think, because Picardo. You know, the, like the whole relationship they were able to build up in just 45 minutes was just perfect and so well played on his part uh, to like he's this weird AI that's has this emerging sentience and he has feelings and he's trying to figure out a way to express them. If this is second best, I don't know if you're wrong, mm-hmm. but that's sad. And that's, you know, let me be clear. This doesn't hold a candle to uh, the the doctor, Dr. Pell. Love. What was that? Uh, Hollow Pursuits. Was that the episode? I, I don't remember the title of it. God, I'll have to look back. Go back. How long we've we been doing this, man? It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a couple of years, probably since we reviewed it, because that was years. That's crazy. On. Yeah. Um, I, it, this doesn't hold a candle to it, but I, I think it was a a decent romantic element. 
I'm not saying this is one of the best. I mean, season five has had some very strong entries, but this was not for me a bad episode. I, I would say that I feel comfortable calling this thing B minus to B uh, with what I would call some good twists and turns because I think Voyager writing room has been so basic for so long that you really come to expect a lot of times, you know, what's the most boring thing or most predictable thing that could happen. But also, you know, as of recent, there have been some genuine, I did not see that coming at all moments like uh, hope and fear, which is probably the ultimate expression of that. But there's been a couple other. So I think they really set the table well for not being able to predict how exactly. Obviously, I knew that the uh, the guest star was not going to continue further into the series. So it was a question of, by the end, is he going to be an asshole who betrays her? Or is he going to go down swinging uh, as her lost love who sacrificed his life so she could get away? You know, it wasn't clear what was going to I would say it was a 50-50 split. And in that, I found a lot of value. But like you said, we pick up in a very awkward uh, Swiss cheese environment, right? And I'm using Swiss cheese in the in the quantum leap sense. Things don't make sense. Like you said, we've got plot holes. We've got Janeway, you know, take out the 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 spinning wheel or or whatever device of chance you want to use to roll the dice and see who you're going to be dealing with. Sometimes you get Janeway who says, I won't put up with bullies and, you know, runs the line and goes to war with an entire nation because she doesn't agree with their political standpoints. And sometimes you have this Janeway who is submitting the entire crew and ship and as best I can tell, extended Federation database to frequent and intense invasive inspections by a very clearly all <laughs> all white, all short haircut, ultra militant <laughs> uh, Gestapo space force. Yeah, Mark, Mark 2.5 space fascists. Yep. That appear to be legitimately uh, very near the same level of technological achievement as Voyager. I, I not only is this episode not particularly well explained or justified, even after they start to talk about the backstory of what happened. Uh, I just never bought for a second the romance between Janeway and, and uh, the inspector. Like he just never read as compelling as a romantic match for Catherine Janeway, even as you're trying to accept that premise. And that's probably why I didn't like it. Like everything about the 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 episode with the EMH and Dr. Pell, they managed to have a lot of chemistry on screen in a way that allowed you to invest yourself in their relationship, despite the relatively short amount of time you had to get to know them as a couple. Mm-hmm. This is like the exact opposite. Like I don't like I I will say Kamal Gru's trying her best. She 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 does, but this guy that they got is just he just did not have charisma. Uh, on the level that I would have expected for someone like Kevin Janeway to be interested. Uh, you know, listen, the, the head skeevian was more interesting in that regard. Vlad Goldblum had his charms. I, you know, so so Voyager's getting put under the microscope frequently, right? We get introduced to this alien race that is the 
God knows what. I don't, I don't never, uh, the De- DeVore. That's right. That's the name of my doctor, Dr. DeVore. Um, and these guys are going over Voyager with a fine tooth comb. I think the writer's room sets up the situation in a good way in that we understand that divorce space is vast and that there is an illusion that going around it would not have been realistic. And this is a situation we've encountered many times before in Voyager's history. And each time Janeway is of a different opinion. Sometimes she says, fuck it. We'll go all the way around and make a big, huge detour. And other times she says, fuck it. We're going to run the border and go start an incident. And then sometimes with the DeVore and with the Cleveland Bromar from back in um, the Raven, right? She is willing to negotiate with dickhead aliens and say, I'll play by your rules. If you let us cross your borders, I'll submit to inspections or, you know, checkpoints or whatever. And we'll get through your space on your terms. And that's one of these situations. And what these Devor guys are looking for, the the main reason they've got a hair up their ass is they really, really, really do not like telepaths. And Voyager has a couple on there. Maybe that's one of the things that I found so completely underbaked about the episode was that the main conceit is that these these dudes fucking hate the shit out of telepaths. And the reasoning is that we get in the most dialogue on the topic is, well, you can't trust people who can read your mind. Not they instigated some sort of giant war or they created oppressive secret police that we eventually overthrew or some kind of fucking reason. No, just you can't trust them. So we're going to put them we're going to put them in concentration camps and exterminate them like what a fucking just lazy cartoon bad guy bullshit. And it just immediately deinvests me from the whole proceeding. I think there's enough reasons to have for a fascist shitty government to fear people who can read mind and pry secrets. We'll find out later on that these divorce soldiers undergo years of rigorous training to shield them against telepathic probing. And, you know, we've run across a fair number of shitty telepaths out there who abuse it and cause problems. And sometimes are crappy fascist governments uh, themselves, such as the gypsy extermination, (laughs) (laughs) sexy Balana dream episode. Yeah. That, you know, it's like I can fill in the gaps. I, I I've seen worse out of Voyager. I'm not going to let this be a showstopper for me. So the sweep teams are going through Voyager and they are looking, they're scanning everything. They're being real dickheads. They're messing up all the doctor's tricorders and everything. Um, And uh, they are looking for telepaths. And there will be an exchange between the head uh, guy, the the lead inspector, whose name is what? Kashik. Which I always thought was the, uh, you know, homeworld of the Wookiees. It, well, you have to keep in mind that at this point in what night? Yeah. End of 1998. We haven't seen that in anything except the Star Wars holiday special. That was like a main thing. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it it and I believe it's also pronounced Kashik. And this guy's name is is pronounced just Kashik. So I think that it's 
it's near to it, but far enough away that I don't think it was intentionally attempting to be like this obscure Star Wars extended universe thing. So uh, they are going through and looking for these guys and we'll have a scene. This Kashuk guy is super antagonistic to Janeway. He's got real shades of uh, the Krenum from uh, Year of Hell when they were kind of at their like haughty peak and like real aristocratic leaning back in my chair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mr. Chair. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Rotating chair. Yeah. Yeah. Never going to forget that. No, he's, he's classic. And you know, this guy clearly took some cues out of that. So he is super cartoony, evil Nazi, you know, Gestapo inspector. And he is kind of rubbing Janeway's face and shit as much as he can about how she needs to be friends and this and that. It's clear he's got the upper hand and really has her by the short and curlies. Um, the hard part of this episode for me is the belief that not only would Janeway, who has been so anti-bully in the past and also staunchly protective of uh, of Federation technology, is opening the full database to these guys for review to the point where he's taking copies with him when they leave. So he can not only go through, you know, the music catalog of Earth, but extended uh, crew rosters. And he'll confront her at one point and say, listen, you did not mention to me that you have telepaths. You've got two Beta Zuds and uh, two Vulcans. And she says, well, listen, uh, the Vulcans died in a sh- and she's talking about Vork and Tuvok died in a shuttle accident. And Suter, which maybe that's half the reason I love this episode. Any any little bit of Suter I can get, man. <laughs> I'm there. I'm on board. Uh, he he died uh, in an encounter with a species called the Kazon. And then Kashuk lays on her like, well, lucky for you, he's dead. And it's like, uh, listen, motherfucker. Let me tell you. <laughs> lucky for you, he's dead. <laughs> let me tell you and your, your Space Force invasive cronies. You guys are lucky. You're not laying all over the floor with your heads bashed. In, all right. Lucky for you. <laughs> I, yeah, the inspection would have been on your craniums from space pipe damage is what you would have been dealing with. My friends, you would be, I couldn't have stopped him. You would have been inspecting your stomach for fragments of your teeth after he knocked him down your fucking throat. I, so this is like one of the first major continuity errors. I mean, obviously they mentioned Lon Suter and he was in fact a Betazoid, uh, albeit with like, no telepathic ability whatsoever. In fact, Mm -hmm. like the exact opposite. Uh, But first, this mentions the only two Vulcans on the ship are supposed to be Tuvok and Vork, which is not true. There's been multiple times we've seen background actors who are in Vulcan makeup. So there's supposed to be more than two. In fact, there will be reference later on that to suggest there's supposed to be more than two Vulcans. So that's wrong. And then... She lumps in a third person who is supposed to be a Betazoid, Jurat, into the group that died in the mysterious shuttle accident. And when they beam in later, you do see like the back of a female Starfleet person who's supposed to be the third person in this list who's apparently a Betazoid. Except fucking Kathy apparently forgot that her pilot in the pilot episode was in fact a Betazoid. There was a whole dialogue about it between him and Tom Paris and her nurse on her ship before the, the uh, she died was also a Vulcan. 
Yeah, I mean, look, man, it's it's not the worst uh, continuity error. You know, if we want to talk about continuity errors, jump to the end of the episode where we see the shuttle bay. And not only is there no uh, sign of Neelix's spacecraft, but you don't see any of the apparently dozens of other shuttlecraft or the Delta Flyer. Like, just take the fact they said Suter's name in behalf. (laughs) Because I take what you could get. Yeah, our boy, our boy Lon got a shout out respect rest in um, peace pour one out no but you're you're totally right there, there are very clear mentions that there are more than two vulcans on the ship and uh yeah they you know they have plugged a lot of the holes that tng had to deal with and one of them is the plot breaking full uh telepath betazoids so you know that that all should have been tidied up that was a silly omission to have one of those laying around uh, but he says, listen, you know, if if we found out that you were smuggling these, it would be an issue. And of course, Janeway does have Vulcans and does apparently have a couple other telepaths, in addition to some space beggars she has picked up along the way, like Starfleet does. And we don't really get the full story of what happens, but I think the, the end conclusion is that after they entered Deaver space, uh, they came across a transport badly damaged, full of essentially political refugees who Janeway took on board to protect. And because these uh, inspections have been so um, draconic, the workaround they have is every time these inspection points come up, they round up everybody who is effectively contraband, contraband and they put them into the transporter pattern buffer like Scotty in the Dyson Sphere episode, Relics, and just let him chill out in there. So you met, you mentioned that this has precedent in Trek lore to be able to do this, and I do appreciate that they drew on that idea to create this workaround. It seems to be something that fits into the Trek lore around technology and how it works in a way that sometimes some of the ideas they have don't. So I respect that. And I also respect that they create a conundrum around their use of it, of course, by saying, yeah, so this is some fucking untested shit, having to repeatedly put people in this kind of weird pseudo soulless suspension. And uh, it's starting to make them like rotten to not people. So we can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, that's that's solid. And the transporter is such a wild piece of technology that. You know, its root is just a simple cost effective way to get Star Trek out of having to deal with like shuttlecraft planet reentries. It's it's just the cheap way to get people down on the ground. Um, And a lot of times we say there's way more applications could do way more cool stuff. And this is a nice example of it with, again, good writing and that this is not going to be a long term solution for the problem that we're having. And one of the refugees will comment in sickbay and say, boy, I I can't help but feel like I've left part of me behind in that transporter. And it's like, well, yeah, dude, (laughs) you did. It's called your soul. It's gone now. You can't have it back unless Q puts it back for you. Yeah, you're dead. You're you're just a a copy of a copy of a copy. Sorry, man. Welcome to the club. We call it Starfleet. And uh, it's been a while since we've had any sort of focus given to what happens when you transport. But I would say at this point, Vork and Tuvok are pretty squarely back in the no soul categories. 
I, you know, you got they got to look out, man. They could wind up as one Vulcan, uh, you know, kind of like Tuvix, except just a giant, insufferable, rapey asshole. Speaking um, of rapey assholes, maybe <laughs> let me let me continue to stunt on the side of Counterpoint. Maybe all of these other Vulcans that you are trying to mention that should have been part of this. Maybe Jamie put two and two together and said, you know, what, having a bunch of these pond far motherfuckers. On board is a problem. Maybe she just offloaded him at the last starbase and said, "You know what? You guys go terrorize the necritic expanse." And, and yeah, we don't need you after deleted all. Deleted scene from Fair Trade. <laughs> uh, they they um so maybe they all stayed behind on species eight four seven two's big holographic Starfleet command simulator because they said, "You know what? Pon Farnight at the Vulcan nightclub." Sounds pretty swell. We we're gonna stay here. <laughs> Goodbye, Kathy. I, st- I still can't like. That is just the most violent and dangerous place you could possibly go on Earth. That's the new genre that <laughs> the next Star Trek uh, franchise can explore. Erotic thriller. Yeah. Ooh, yes. No. 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 Not not in Kurtzman's hands. Anyway, so uh, we we get a minimal amount of the rest of the crew through this episode, to be honest, everyone basically has a scene or some, in some cases, just a few lines of dialogue, like seven of nine barely factors in Uh, Neelix has a scene where he's basically babysitting the telepath children and they're kind of asshole little telepaths. I like that scene with Neelix because it's like, well, Hey kids, I want to comfort you and make you feel, you know, welcome around here. And I'm going to tell you a fun story about flatter, but you have to get the crappy Neelix Talaxian version because you guys aren't good enough to get into the holodeck and actually get the special effects version. This guy wrote the Flotter episode. The guy who wrote this one, uh, Michael Taylor. So mm-hmm. that that reference was not accidental. Stop trying <laughs> to make Flotter happen, right? Nobody wants these plushies. Just just let it go. Just let it. I wanted to say that too. Back in the uh, Doctor Mengele, the, the other space Nazi episode, you know, two weeks ago. <laughs> that uh, one <laughs> we were joking about like all the different things that the, the doctor could have made um the subject material expert be like his viking girlfriend from beowulf just make him fucking flatter like how good would that be yeah. your, your resident <laughs> exobiologist to be like living water or that barky tree dude the episode gets kicked up a notch as they start to talk about like what their purpose is which is to find apparently another transport vessel uh, that they are secretly in contact with to take all of the telepathic refugees. Uh, that that ship's location keeps shifting. They think they finally know where it is. It's in a nebula. And just as they set course to go ahead and head to that nebula, uh, that's when another uh, Devor ship suddenly comes into range. But this is smaller, one-man vessel. And wouldn't you know it, it's Jay Leno Chin, the Gestapo chief, who is on board and he comes to the briefing room and presents a case that he is actually defecting slash betraying his people that he knows all about the teleporter suspension, the communication with the transport that they found these guys in the first place. He knows the whole story and he has been the one secretly making sure that the inspection teams don't find them this entire time. And now he's here to help. 
I, I don't get where the hate is for this uh, this plot twist, man. This is solid Star Trek. And a lot of times I will condemn Voyager and say this is a retread of next gen. And to be fair, this is kind of a retread of next generation. There was a very, very good Romulan episode of next gen where the uh, Romulan general defects. He's got uh, knowledge of a Ford operational secret base that Romulans have uh, prepared in the neutral zone in anticipation of waging war with the Federation. And he has decided to throw his military career and family safety in the trash to defect and tell Federation, Hey, watch out. This is coming. Like this is charted territory. And I think because we've seen it play out again, so many ways, sometimes the guy's a spy and he says, fuck you. Sometimes it's a legit good guy who wants to get away from a bad. And I really feel like the, the divorce, so two dimensional space Nazis, Nazi-ish that you know it, it was a plausible like reason like I need to get out of here he'll lay a sob story on Janeway later on about finding some kids stowed away in a compression gas chamber or something and pulling one of them out and she thanked him and you know he ended up sending her off to her death and the toll it took and the stories all added up I, I felt like it was, it was solid plot I can't possibly disagree more with you. The key premise of his whole story is the reason. The, so the 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 real reason he's doing this is because he wants Voyager to find this wormhole, right? Mm-hmm. Like that. That's the actual story. It's like the whole reason they didn't just bust him immediately and take all the telepaths was for some reason. Jay Leno Chin thinks that Voyager has got the gumption to find this fucking stupid ass wormhole, right? That somehow they can't find, which actually turns out to be incredibly easy to find. It requires apparently one night in the mess hall drinking coffee and having a Jean-Luc moment. That's really all it fucking took after talking to admittedly probably the coolest alien we've seen in quite some time. If the guy not ever. It's like fucking odd. We'll talk about him in a second. But like it, it, the whole premise of this is just completely stupid. Like you're you've decided to like play this intricate game with Voyager so that they could have a conversation with Mr. With Mr. Bluehead, uh, you know, the the blowfish alien like Jesus, like, no, this just makes no sense of why this entire deception occurs at all. You've got a very militaristic society or at least detachment of soldiers who are, by his own admission, soldiers and not scientists. And this guy is a career climber who wants to try and get a big catch. And his big catch is going to come in the form of this prophesized, you know, this this rumored wormhole. And he knows that they can't find it on their own. And here comes a bunch of goody two shoe space scientists. Why? Why not use them as a. as the brain muscle to get to the answer you can't get yourself because the answer isn't particularly hard to find. That's, that's my thing. Like it isn't that they had some kind of special technology or a special ability, or it took everybody. It was interrogate a guy, get the basic information, spend a night thinking about it, figure it out. Nothing about that seemed that it justified the level of deception that occurred. And I mean, you know, this guy's bored. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And they're obviously very full of themselves and they wouldn't think that they would be the ones to get double bamboos. I can buy it. 
I there's enough there's enough breadcrumbs down. I can follow the trail. I've seen much worse, and it you know, <laughs> I've seen much worse. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you keep granted, trying. You keep granted. You, keep you got to, it. You keep trying to call him uh, Jay Leno Chin. I mean, you want to talk about Jay Leno Chin? Uh, you know that that's held by Dosh. You know, there's there's nothing. There's no poop you can throw at this episode that there's not a bigger target in Star Trek. I mean, you, you, I'm, you're 100% correct. Yeah. Peter, that is that is truth made from real fact, from the fact minds of Factonia. There are clearly worse episodes of Star Trek. There is clearly worse episodes of Star Trek Voyager. There has been even so far clearly worse episodes of Star Trek Voyager in season five. But I, I, Peter, I am not so captured by what we're watching that it, punches me in the gut and then i'm like just so happy it didn't stab me in the face you know it well, was still bad <laughs> i'm gonna say in my notes when he came on board i say and i quote baller pot twist so fuck you <laughs> <laughs> so he comes on board right and he says listen uh everything before was an act i was being rough on you guys because i had to put up a good show I need to get the fuck out of here. I got a lot of guilt. I want a defect. I can tell Voyager is a pretty cool place. And, you know, you're my ticket out of this bad place. And also, I'm going to give you advance warning that you're going into a trap. What you think is uh, in that nebula, that's not that cargo ship. We already took that over and we're using that as a honeypot to catch people. And everybody's like, oh, shit, maybe he's telling the truth. So, you know, it's a classic like I've got enough information to make me useful, keep me around, whatever. Janeway is uncharacteristically suspicious and mean in a bitch, which, you know, is ultimately all justified. Uh, but still, she is offered asylum to way worse people with way less uh, benefit to them. And uh, as they start talking to the uh, whatever the the refugee species is, they say, all right, well, there's plan B, which is this wormhole. And like you said, we don't know where this thing's at, but. There's a scientist out there, and we think that he might. So Voyager hunts down this guy's shuttlecraft in the classic Voyager move of we come in peace while we abduct you and drag you into this fucking <laughs> this illegal bullshit. This, we this, come in peace as we work you over with hammer fist after hammer fist. This scheme, he's like, he calls him out on it, too. He's like, I don't want any part of this. They're like, but we mean you no harm. He's like, well, why are you chasing me? And it's like, yes, exactly. Why is Voyager flying as many fights? I want to jump back to to thirty days, right? That was the the Tom Paris in jail episode. Yeah, yeah. I've really been holding Voyager to this thing of like, they never run away from a fight. They always stand their ground, and they needlessly create these antagonistic situations, like in. Uh, whatever the this Tron turds episode where like you could have just flown away. You don't have to stay and fight. People don't have to die. That that moment with uh, Tom hitting his head on the bulkhead and passing out like that's probably the only time I think we've seen any evidence that like Voyager ever does try to run away from a fight. And that was like some random ambush from like five alien ships that didn't identify. But I will say, though. Bringing Torat, who's the name of the scientist, into the episode is the best part because this is just the coolest looking fucking guy. They they went all out on this guy's makeup. They had prosthetic. 
they they end up doing this weird thing with his nose that he like huffs and he is like his nose pops out and it looks like it might have been a CG effect, but they put so much fucking effort into this guy's makeup. It's nuts. It is. He, he's got these cool like contacts that make it look like he's got two irises. He's got full articulation, so it looks good when he's talking. I love his attitude. I mean, and that's this is the cool part of the Delta Quadrant for me, right? Just really neat one off species. We don't need a million of these guys. And, you know, you get enough to say, all right, this guy is a there's something really strange and weird and a different culture and, and cool. Give me more stuff like that. I do like the interrogation on him and I like the dynamic that Kashik brings in. There's a lot about Kashik that to me embodied the potential of what we could have gotten with Seska. I know he's not going to stay on the crew, but in my mind, I'm thinking like this guy would be a really cool addition. You've got someone who has, you know, you don't really see the Maquis doing the Maquis thing often anymore. And seven of nine is like the new outsider of like, oh, here's the alien Borg way. And every Starfleet's like, oh, my God, clutching their pearls. Like, oh, can you believe she did that? <laughs> oh, my stars and garters, my pre- my precious sensibilities. Right. So now you've got this this draconian, uh, terrible inspector fascist who's got some pretty solid, uh, you know, uh, interrogation skills, right? And it's a nice foil to Janeway. And again, I'm seeing real shades of what Seska could have been had they not made her into the arch villain for that season. And had she stuck around and had like that. And as you pointed out, and I think it's why they didn't, it would have been too many shades of Garrick for Voyager and too much similarity to Deep Space Nine. Uh, but you see them start playing well together in that scene specifically, because he comes in with his hard like challenge to the space professor, the frog professor's like, yeah, I bet you're not smart enough to know where it is anyways. And it seemed kind of juvenile, but the other species is very proud. And this guy gets uh, gets real froggy, like, well, how dare you? You don't know. And then Janeway starts playing along with it. And there's some smirking. And I think there's. I think there's decent screen chemistry there that I buy this as a solid beginning who will eventually become, you know, a, a full kiss love plot later on. I mean, I do agree that the good cop, bad cop like routine was that probably was probably the best scene in the episode. You know, the alien himself having such cool makeup being part of it and the way that they get the information out of him, and, and that guy's performance of like how he talks about all of this stuff and how he like has like keyed all these terms that he's invented for things yes you know and he's like real fucking persnickety about it like that was really good how uh, is just, he not in the memory alpha with his own picture yes is- i just i just looked through it uh to see like is there any mention of this guy because I, I you know like at Tor all his name yeah, and there just isn't any. Although I will note that I may, there was another uh, big miss on the list of telepathic crew members, and that's Kess. By the way, pointed out here in the memory alpha, somehow not on there. Um, no one was more telepathic <laughs> than Kess. <laughs> so, well, they're looking for telepaths, not Super Saiyan Jedi. So I, I can buy <laughs> that they. Oh, you're fine. You're so powerful. You just you just melt our brains like you did Tuvok. It'll be fine. It's microwave we know better than blood. To fuck with you. Um, now, I will say that the the next scene starts off silly because you've got Kashuk and you've got Janeway 
burning the midnight oil, trying to figure out um, cool frog professors like, listen, I can't tell you where it's going to be, but I can give you enough data that I have that you might be able to predict where the next occurrence is. There's some sort of a pattern. Maybe you guys can figure it out. Please give me the space juice that's going to really revolutionize my propulsion system. And off they go. But we get Kashuk, we get the captain who have ran everybody else out of the mess hall. You could tell Janeway has been working real hard because she's ditched her half her uniform. She's just in the um, the stupid blue turtleneck. Kashuk's in some very high waist slacks from the 20s that I, I thought were funny. And it's silly. Why are the two people who are trying to crack the code for this super duper important task a soldier and the captain? Why isn't it Harry and Seven of Nine? I think the scene that's missing here is there being other people who say it's too late. We got to go. We'll pick this back up. And these are the last two people that are willing to work on it late at night. (sighs) Sorry, man. I just no. this this scene just felt like just fucking cold water. This is where I lost any interest in the episode. You know, they're sitting there listening to Tchaikovsky, like, you know, bonding over their love of music. That's a big through line of the episode that we haven't mentioned. And, you know, it like. Kimo grew, you know, it's been his constant theme. It's these the soft scenes where she gets to kind of like bust out her her experience as an actress doing a lot of soap opera style stuff. You know, she's she's trying a lot really hard with the body language and trying to sell it. But the guy here, I just I get nothing from him. I just get nothing. He just seems like the exact kind of C minus actor. They get to do these kinds of guest spots too often in Star Trek. And I don't understand I don't understand the the chemistry argument at all. I just get nothing. And I don't know. It's maybe just a a difference of I don't know how it like I'm interested to know if there's a reason out there as to why you would get that read and I wouldn't. You know? It's not a gendered difference. I I don't know. I think he I think part of it is because he portrays himself in uniform as such a dickhead and a two-dimensional prick that when he does start bringing out his warmer side, he's it's it's like we talked about before with seven of nine and Tuvok that they have such a rigid, flat, normal status that when they deviate from that, it seems way more dramatic than it is like there's with Tim Russ and with Jerry uh, Ryan, there's legitimately great acting there to back it up, but it's already being like turbo boosted by the fact it's like, now they're being warm and fluid and emotional, whereas normally they're rigid uh, robots. This guy went from being such a uh, an 11 out of 10 dickhead to being, you know, a warm, personable guy with a tragic story he lays on her. There's some um, talk about, oh, look out the window, the beautiful Aurora Borealis nebula out there. You know, this is the last time I'll see it like. Even if he's not the best actor, I think the script work was solid and there's enough stuff to think about that it, it comes out as a full picture as a result. Um, I, I, I will agree that I think this episode fails because of the casting of the male 
counterpart to Janeway. And then a more charismatic and, uh, actor with more depth that could have delivered this dialogue in a way like if this was – let's exist in a world where this is played by uh, you know the same guy who played Space Boddicker, okay, with his acting range, right, his ability to find depth, right? I would totally buy that guy going from – evil space Nazi, right? And then him shifting into warmer and warmer. Like that kind of actor, I think, could have really sold it in a way that got you in. This guy, I just don't get it. I just don't get fucking anything from it. It just makes me not give a shit. I feel bad then that one guy's performance was able to really drag the episode down as hard as it did. Um, and and I'll agree. I mean, there's people out there that definitely could have done it better, but I didn't. I didn't find the performance really offensive. Maybe the line that you're saying. Kurtwood Smith. Yeah. Fuck, I couldn't. I couldn't remember his name for like five minutes. Let me there. also say that I don't know what happened, but YouTube has, in its algorithm, decided that I need to see every clip from every RoboCop movie and behind the scenes interview <laughs> with Phil Tippett and Red Letter Media and everything else and. I just I love it. I've watched so much fucking shit about RoboCop lately that I, it's so good. There's there there's a really good if if you're out there looking for stuff on YouTube, there's a really good uh interview with Peter Weller that Ain't It Cool News did. It, you can see he's in a movie theater talking and addressing some fans and there's a, a really good presentation he does about uh how the suit didn't work and they almost shit can the whole movie until they figured out the right way to like remap his movement. Cool, cool stuff in the background, whatever. Um, so, uh, there's also another point in this mess hall scene that I really liked where he lays on Janeway, you know, maybe you shouldn't be in such a rush to get home. Uh, it seems you're kind of a fugitive as well. And he says, you know, I've read your database. I know about your prime directive and I know that you've broken the shit out of this thing. He doesn't call her to the full extent. He says, you know, getting involved in this, uh, this, uh, telepath thing is a big no, no. And it's like, Oh buddy, if only you knew, if only you knew the half of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciated the call out. I appreciate like the idea that, you know, Janeway is starting to recognize that she's breaking the prime directive because obviously she does it all the time. And we, the viewer have clearly seen that I would have appreciated more of a, I don't know. I would have appreciated this moment, like two seasons earlier, you know, like how many times has, what was the last episode where I'm not even going to count 30 days in the count because that was not just the violation of the prime directive, but just like some real sh shitbag thing that, that, uh, you know, Tom wanted to do for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, practically starting a war with people over, you know, trying to help them when they didn't want it, that sort of thing. But what was the episode before that where there was like this big line drawn in the sand over the prime directive that made no fucking sense? Uh, from this season? Was it this? I'm trying. I'm looking back now at the episodes. Extreme risk. No drone. No night. No in the flesh. No. Uh, once upon a time. No might have been fourth season. There was there was an episode where it was just a huge fucking deal. And I'm trying and I can't find it. At the Omega moment. directive. Oh, yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. No, because they ended up breaking the prime directive because of the Omega directive. That was like, so this is the prime directive doesn't apply. 
you know, and that was made it all okay. The moral of the story is it's you hit these peaks and valleys with Voyager where I feel like certain things are overrepresented. Like we're joking about space Nazis. Yeah, there's certainly the Dr. Mengele episode that was uh, uh, nothing human two episodes ago, but that's really the only one for this season. But it, it just it feels all it takes is two or three times for a shuttlecraft to blow up. And it, you get this impression that every episode of Voyager, there's going to be a shuttlecraft blowing up. Speaking of shuttlecraft, uh, the uh, Jay Leno Chin decides he is, uh, you know, Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That doesn't happen yet. Um, so they continue on the way to where they think that they have found this uh, this uh, wormhole and where it's going to open because of their aha moment while in the mess hall. And they have to get by a communications array that sends out like a pulse every 30 seconds. Uh, and they come up with the idea if they can just lower their power low enough, they can kind of like float by it uh, and escape detection. And they attempt to initiate this process, but unfortunately for Voyager, there is a a a spike in their warp drive that's going to make them show up on uh, sensors no matter what. And Bolana, despite her best efforts, is unable to rectify the situation before things uh, get out of hand and uh, they are detected. And this allows the space Nazis to catch, start to catch up with them and that they're going to actually wind up right on top of them just as they arrive at the wormhole in question. So I thought it was cool that they had a really good plan and it didn't work. It's rare to see a minor hiccup like this where there's something that seems pretty, pretty low on the, the need for technical wizardry and miracle working that flubs. And uh, I, I appreciated that that was what happened here. And that sets in the chain of events of, OK, now now we're on the divorce radar. How are we going to get through this? Because even though um, Kashik has given us weapon schematics and, you know, tactics and all this other stuff, like. We don't know how we're going to do it. And Janeway's like, well, we'll fight him. And divorce like, listen, man. You guys might be able to take one of these warships one on one, but you can't do a two V one. And again, I didn't know how the episode was ultimately going to play out. Is he a double agent? Is he being genuine? I know that he will not be there tomorrow for the next episode. So is he you know, he starts saying, I got to go back to my people. I can take over the inspection. It's going to look fishy, but I can buy you the time to get out of here. And I'm like, okay, I think we're going to have a real tragic situation where this is very clearly being groomed to be Janeway's love interest and that this is going to be, you know, her brand brand uh, prescribed miserable experience of having to watch uh, the one person that she's finally opened up to romantically in the Delta quadrant uh, be left behind and or exposed for being a, a defector and executed. So I'm like, all right, um, they decide that he needs to fly off and go rejoin up with the Devor fleet. And we get the scene down in the shuttle bay. It's also our first real look at what the inside of the Voyager shuttle bay looks like. Uh, that ultimately ends up in uh, him turning back at the last moment to passionately kiss her. And Joe, I'm ashamed to tell you, I, this is the, like, the only fucking Star Trek kiss I've ever seen. I've actually physically rooted for like that's <laughs> That's how 
far into the fucking weeds. I I might get crucified on the trauma support group over. I being... I might be doing the crucifying, <laughs> and you might deserve it. I mean, th- this it's a good kiss. Like Kathy goes in for seconds. Like mm, she like got a taste of that, and she wanted more. And uh, they go for it, and uh, they make they make it they make they sell it. Uh, they still do a good job of selling it. So I'm it's, not gonna I'm not going to. The uncertainty of is she kissing a double agent? Is she kissing someone who is going to be like the shooter McGavin from the Enterprise C incident in yesterday's Enterprise? Like, I love this guy and he's going to his death to to save us where he's giving up his freedom. Like so many what ifs. I didn't have a clear trajectory on it. And and I mean, so many times someone kisses the other person. It's like, oh, geez, especially when it's fucking Balan and Paris. But this it was uh, the stakes were right for me. And um, he flies off to go rejoin up with the feet, with the fleet. And I wonder where the hell are all the other shuttlecraft at? Uh, eventually, they get to the next inspection point. Janeway's kind of got a little smirk because now she knows her boyfriend's over there. And whereas every time she's dreaded these inspections, now she's kind of jazzed about it. Big continuity error. They've got everybody tucked away in the tr- uh, transporter pattern buffer, but Tuvok's out and rolling around who was like big time no no so I don't know what they were doing there but Kashik beams directly into her ready room calls her in she runs off they have a little uh, role playing scene where Kashik's number one crony gets dismissed and then they get in close for some real close talk and Jane was like we cracked the code we found the wormhole everything's going to be great and kind of lays everything out and then he's like okay cool i'm gonna call my lackeys back in here and dun 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 um oh he it's the double cross who would have seen this coming i said oh come on this guy was such a good character i was so fucking jazzed for this guy to actually be legit and like a strong opposite but I don't know, man. It seems like every like the only certain people can never end up being redeemed on Voyager. And if you are this guy's demographic, like they always seem to hold to be ship bags to the very end. So whatever, uh, Janeway. I, I did. I did like that the 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 main henchman is named Prax. It's such a great henchman name because it's really easy to yell out authoritatively. Prax. Here, front and center, like I just, I liked that. That was a nice touch. I like there, that. I said something nice about your your episode that you want to marry, Peter. Yeah, I'm like yeah. See, I'm, I can be nice too. Kate Mulgrew does a great job of being emotionally gutted by the revelation that this guy is actually a shitbag, double agent, Nazi fuck. She, I think, portrays well being emotionally wounded while still keeping a game face on as a captain and knowing that ultimately they're all fucked now because they have been boarded. All of her people are at gunpoint. Uh, And this dude's like, all right, well, here's the deal. We're going to fish everybody out of uh, the transporter buffer. And then we're going to find this um, underground railroad wormhole that you guys have been using. And we're going to blow it up and everybody's going to be fucked. And it's all your fault, Catherine Janeway, because you just, you know, you and your stupid emotions uh, have condemned everybody. But unfortunately for Kashik, he has never watched the thaw and he doesn't know that in the end, Janeway is smarter and better than every evil man out there. 
and that you don't double cross her. She double crosses you. And all those refugees that you thought were in the pattern enhancer are really just a bunch of bananas and tomatoes. And that the wormhole you thought she was leading you to was just like some leftover fireworks or something. And uh, that, in fact, all the hostages or the, the refugees had flown off on two shuttlecraft, which let's be clear, that's another two shuttlecraft Voyager. Just <laughs> losing to, folks. Yeah, it just just sends them off like whatever. We can apparently assemble brand new cutting edge uh, shuttlecraft with spare parts when we want to. So not, well, not know, even have, that. have some type twos. Go go at them, boys. They're giving away shuttlecraft. They're losing. Sh- you would think shuttlecraft just show up in the mail in the mid 90s like AOL CDs, right? That's, <laughs> that's how plentiful shuttlecraft are to Voyager. Uh, and that they did not realize that the shuttlecraft have flown away because Kashuk had given information on the Devor uh, sensors and shielding and all that other stuff. And he basically handed her the keys of the castle to pull the wool over his head. And then the worst part of the episode. All right. You have the evil space Nazis that have Voyager on lockdown after Voyager just assisted in a massive uh, 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 rescue of these political refugees and fucked everybody over and made them all look like a bunch of clowns. And this dude, this, this evil, terrible man tells everyone. Yeah. This guy who's so evil and so terrible that he set up this whole deception, uh, you know, not because he wanted to save anyone's life, but he just wanted to like a little cherry on top of his bust. Right. He wanted to get that extra pound of of Coke along with all the automatic firearms he's about to to confiscate. Yeah. He wanted to get the uh, the little sub quest uh, plus one for for the extra. He wanted to get the optional the optional trigger checked for that little extra XP boost. This guy who sends kids to their death and then, you know, jokes about it lightheartedly has a sudden change of heart. And he says, "Okay, well, uh. Everybody, we're just going to let Voyager go. All right. <laughs> well, they beat us, guys. Let's they go beat home. us fair and square. All right. All all the space Nazi Devor. I want you guys all in a line on the left and all Starfleet. You get on the line on the right. And everybody just walk by like Little League and slap each other's hands and say, good game. Good game. <laughs> good game. Good game. And get out of here, and we're just going to let these guys go scot-free. And Prax is like, dude, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, gosh. Do you know how bad it's going to look if we, you know, if, if word ever got out that we let, like, six refugees escape? So we're just going to let this crew of, what, 200 and what, 50, 250? Well, it's right? 150 people, yeah. 150 people. In this with, 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 with telepaths on board. Like confirmed pass on board and all this sweet ass alpha quadrant tech and everything. We're going to let them fly away. Scott fucking free. And, uh, you know, Kathy, uh, you know, you you got me good. I, I don't know what will quippy, whatever. Oh, by the way, the offer you made for me to run away really was tempting you almost got me and she's like well you know i wish you had taken me up and not been a fucking shit bag and he's like okay cool peace out the bridge is yours see you later on one hand i can say all right this guy maybe he really was in love with her maybe there's real feelings 
maybe somewhere in there there was an okay guy and and this is that person you know one last hurrah but at the end you've got two warships full of dudes that just saw you hand away this fucking awesome bus like man what a fucking stupid ending they clearly couldn't figure out a way to end it that made sense and that's the best they could come up with and it just is stupid and lazy and just way too much of this guy being just the nicest dude out of fucking nowhere. such a good sport such a good sport like Oh, you got me, Kathy. Well, good game. Like you said, like little fucking little leaguers. Like, uh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, we have to end this episode and Voyager can't be the prisoners of a bunch of space Nazis. How does it end? Oh, they just fucking leave because, Uh you know, it would be embarrassing to talk about. Like, yeah, it's it's dumb. But unlike you, I think the rest of the episode is dumb. So I'm not as upset about it. You know, like if you're already waddling in garbage, suddenly a truck coming in and pouring a whole bunch of banana peels and used pineapple on you isn't any more disgusting than what you've already been waiting through. Why couldn't they have just let him be a good guy at the end? And, you know, he sacrifices himself somehow so Voyager can escape. And then Catherine's like, oh, God, the guy I love is back there and I've got emotional baggage and blah, blah, blah. It would have been a a reasonable ending. Instead, it's I'm evil, but I'm a great sport. The Devore are terrible space Nazis, but we've always been known for our good sportsmanship. So see you like, okay, whatever. Or or they could have used the information that Jay Leno Chin brought over. And at the end, he's like, oh, and the final part of my I fucked you was that I put a fucking bomb on your shuttle that's going to blow your ships up. If you don't let us go like there you go done like so you guys can get the fuck off my ship and fuck off forever or I'm just going to hit the detonator. Strong power play by Janeway who let's let's take a real look at what happened here like there is no way to know that this guy is the Delta Quadrant's best sport right. Janeway has essentially just fucked the entire crew they have willfully submitted to this inspection Janeway thinks maybe Kashik is going to be a cool dude. She's clearly got emotions for him and she wants to believe he will not fuck her over. But clearly she doesn't really trust him. Otherwise, she wouldn't have sent the refugees off, lied and everything else. Right. So there's a hard 50 50 chance of maybe we get a new good crew guy. Or maybe I'm going to be serving my entire crew over who is so important to me that I've allied with the Borg and all of the other terrible things I've done to fuck over the universe. I'm, I'm going to have everybody submit at gunpoint to a bunch of space Nazis. Like she had no plan B here, man. Like it's that it, this is one of the worst endings I think we've seen on an episode in a long, long time. And this is some really, really terrible Janeway writing at the tail end on this thing. So I was unfortunately mistaken about what episode is next week. So, Peter, if you wouldn't mind reading that off as is traditional, I would appreciate it. All right, man. We are going to be going into season five, episode 11, latent image. And we got the doctor standing around in astrometrics with uh, seven of nine. The doctor uncovers evidence that his memory was erased 18 months ago. Nearly all traces of a fateful away mission have been deleted. 
We've done this in Next Generation, Joe. The last time it was Data and Picard wiped his memory because there was a super powerful demigod race that said, get the fuck out of here, never come back, forget everything, or we're going to kill your ship. And then Data remembers and then drags everybody back in. That was a great episode. That's a story I'd like to hear again. I love the Doctor. I love AI. This seems really good. Am I going to be happy? Am I going to be sad? You're going to be happy. It's not exactly the same, obviously, but uh, this is a great AI and is the doctor a person episode. And I, you know, it's it it really good digs deep uh, in the premise. Like it, it gets real deep. It is. This is not an a approachable episode of Star Trek. Like I would I would be sad for anyone who like, oh, I'm going to watch Voyager and they got this one because it is just dense in what they're trying to do. And I it's going to reward you and me super hard. Uh, but uh, for the casual viewer, it's it's probably impenetrable. But that's real ballsy for Voyager, man. That is that is not the status quo at all. And I am really excited to see where this one goes. Same here. And thank you very much to everyone for listening to yet another of episode of uh, Vija, please. Uh, if you want to join the uh, Vija, please trauma support group on Facebook, which is our, our uh, viewer uh, community, uh, please do. Uh, we're easily found on Facebook. It's closed, but we will allow anyone to join that accepts. We just keep it closed because we know your grandmother doesn't need to see your Star Trek shit posting. And uh, we, of course, always encourage people to join when it comes down to showing up and uh, telling Peter that he's wrong for liking this episode. I endorse that heartily, 100%. You should do that. You know, everybody's going to show up and say you're an asshole and that Kashik was a great guy and that you have bad taste and it's going to be true and you're going to have to go to bed uh, with everybody telling you how wrong you're on Facebook, which I think at the end of the day gets your dick hard from what I've seen recently. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's how I've lived every day of my life for the last decade, my friend. Like, that's my don't, fetish. Don't threaten me with a good time. 